Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who repent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts, that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so we are turning to question 116 today in the Catechism. And if you'll remember, we spent the first time, the, first, uh, the last two sessions talking about the sacraments. Uh, what sacraments in particular? Baptism and the Eucharist, um, which we often call the Dominical Sacraments, which is, uh, eh, it's okay. <laughs> um, most, most, most Anglicans will accept that there are two sacraments, okay? Uh, many Anglicans will also say, yes, but there are five others which you call sacraments because they are, and, <laughs> and it's this kind of ongoing battle, and, and, it's, and it's a lot of fun, uh, but not something you need to know much about. Um, the reality of it, however, is that there are two sacraments which are given as generally necessary for salvation, and those are baptism and the Eucharist. Now, how do we know they're generally, generally necessary for salvation? Yeah, the Bible says so. Jesus tells me so, okay? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite simple, actually. Uh, that's, that's actually the answer. Now, of course, the question is, you know, what does generally necessary mean? Precisely that, generally necessary. Um, and that means that God can do whatever he wants, um, essentially. So uh, what, I, what, what also needs to be said is that in every sacrament, there is both the outward and visible sign and also what? The inward and spiritual grace. Um, and, and part of this, which I think is really important for us to, to spend a little bit of time on this morning, is that um, we don't simply say that you might get the inward and spiritual grace. What do we say? You do get it. Uh, you are assured that you get it. Um, because that grace is not contingent upon me, your priest. It's not contingent upon you being morally good enough. Right? What's it, what's it contingent? What, who, who acts in the sacraments? God acts. Okay? And, and essentially the, 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 the belief is that God has said, I will do this every time you do that. Um, and so this is, this is an important thing. Okay, so today we turn to other sacraments. Now, I should note before we get started that in the articles there's this, uh, there's this kind of language which says um, that there are um, other uh, rites commonly called sacraments. Okay? And often people will kind of say, well, that's, that's a slight that means they're commonly called sacraments, but are not sacraments. Well, the phrase commonly called is used throughout, uh, throughout that tradition to say, this is, what it's, this is what it's called by most people, right? They're called sacraments. Why are they called sacraments? Because that's what they are. Are they sacraments in the same way that baptism and the Eucharist are sacraments? Not exactly, right? Because they're not generally necessary for salvation. Another reason is that uh, though, uh, though um, Jesus commands things like forgive the sins Forgive sins, right, the apostles? Does he say how? Does he command the, the form? No, he doesn't say, when you go, you know, Peter, by the way, when you go hear a confession, this is how you got to do it. Okay, you got to do it just like this. That's not how it works. Okay? 
So there's this language also in the, in the, in the articles about following the, the corrupt following of the apostles, which doesn't mean that the apostles were corrupt or that anyone following them was corrupt. It simply means that the practices tend to just kind of devolve and then be brought back. And, um, and I think the, the point about baptism, has, baptism has always been practiced, right, in the church. And despite, I mean, this is probably the, the miracle about baptism is that, in particular, is despite widespread uh, um, church division, yes, by and large, most people don't mess around with baptism, right? They don't say, hey, let's, let's do this baptism a little bit differently today. Let's, let's not baptize in the name of the Trinity, right? And in fact, the truth is, only people who deny the Trinity baptize in the name of anything else, right? Um, so this is an important, an important part, is that uh, when we speak about these five, we're talking about uh, things wherein the practices have, var- have varied vastly. But at the center is uh, the same thing. We're going to say a little bit about that um, as we go through. All right, so let's jump in. Question 116. Are there other sacraments? Other rites and institutions commonly called sacraments include confirmation, absolution, ordination, marriage, and anointing of the sick. These are sometimes called the sacraments of the church. Okay, so these five, and by the way, I'm going to give you a really easy way to memorize them, okay? Just think confirmation, okay? Got confirmation. Yay, confirmation. <laughs> we'll, say, we'll talk about that later. Confirmation. And then two sacraments which are associated with healing and restoration, yes? Unction, confession. And two sacraments commonly associated with vocation, life, lifelong vocation. Um, which is ordination and marriage. Okay? So that's just kind of an easy way to keep, tra- keep track of it. You take dominical sacraments, confirmation, two sacraments for restoration and healing, two sacraments for lifelong vocation. Now, is that a hard and fast rule? No, but it's just a helpful way to memorize them so that you can memorize all seven of the sacraments. Um, by the way, uh, I, should, I should note this. Um, in the time of the English Reformation, um, Henry VIII... He's not my favorite guy, okay? You'll just, and that's kind of what you say is he's not my favorite. Uh, but he wrote a defense of the seven sacraments um, against Luther, defending uh, the, the not set in stone but very common and very almost universal understanding that there are seven sacraments in the West um, against what Luther was saying. And uh, though the English Reformation uh, tends to have both uh, Lutheran sentiment and uh, reform sentiment, uh, this kind of teaching on seven sacraments has been maintained. Um, and, and especially, so if, and I want to say this as well, somebody, somebody asked me this past week, you know, how do you know the difference between, you know, evangelical Anglicans and Anglo-Catholics? And it's like, well, uh, it's not quite so easy, but I'm going to give you a little inside baseball here. Um, evangelical Anglicans will, co- will commonly say there are two sacraments, only two sacraments. Well, that's not what the articles say. Um, now, what they mean by sacrament is generally necessary for salvation and so on and so forth down the road. Okay? Um, but as Anglo-Catholics will put it, they'll say, no, you know, we really do have seven sacraments. Um, and and uh, there's a difference between the two sets, but we do have seven sacraments. So there's inside baseball. Okay. These are sometimes called the sacraments of the church. Now, why are they called the sacraments of the church? Well, they're not necessary for salvation, so uh, so that's one thing, but it's it's quite a bit quite a bit bigger than that. Okay, first off, you cannot receive any of these five sacraments. Actually, classically speaking, uh, with one exception, which is marriage, uh, which which even then I'm going to say some things about that as we get as we get through it, uh, without being baptized. 
Okay? So, so in order to receive these sacraments, you must be baptized. Okay? Um, the, other, the, other, the other answer, which I think we have to give, is that um, these sacraments are given to us uh, for the church's use. Um, and that's, that's quite important. That, um, in fact, they, um, they deeply benefit the whole church. Okay? So, let me go to this way. Sometimes we often think about marriage as benefiting man and woman. What do we Christians believe? Marriage actually benefits the church and, by extension, the whole world. <laughs> um, uh, ordination. I wasn't ordained for myself, was I? No. Uh, I was ordained for the church. Okay. Um, in the same way, when I, when I uh, go to confession, I'm not simply making my confession so that I can feel good about myself again. I'm doing this for the sake of the bride of Christ. Okay? So that's just a way to think about it. These are for the sake of the church. Question 117. How do these differ from the sacraments of the gospel? They are not commanded by Christ as necessary for salvation, but arise from the practice of the apostles in the early church or our states of life blessed by God from creation. God clearly uses them as means of grace. Okay, this is very important. This is, this is one of those parts where Anglicanism walks that very important uh, via media line and gets it absolutely right. So here's, here's a bit, okay? When you think about the Reformation, the Reformation is almost entirely about the sacrament of penance, okay? Um, now, there are a lot of other issues wrapped up in it. I'm not denying that for one second, but at the center of the Reformation and the center of the question is that of confession. When I go to confession, how is it that I'm forgiven? Do I have to? That's another question. Because from about the 11th century on in the Western Church, all are commanded to make their confession once a year, at least. Okay? Um, and the understanding prevalent in, before the Reformation is, if you don't do this, you're probably going to go to hell. Okay? Um, and we Anglicans, do we say that? No. Right? We don't say that it's required to uh, receive absolution from a priest in order to go to heaven. That's not necessary. Okay? It's not even generally necessary. Now, we can say it's good, right? And we can say that you get grace from it, but we, can't, we will not ever say you must in order to be saved. Why don't we say that? It's another great... Because it's not in Scripture, okay? <laughs> all right, so, so we're, we're going through this all over again. You're, you're hearing this basic Anglican theology. Okay. Um, they arise from the... Pra- Go ahead. We'll get there. Okay, well, we'll definitely get there. All right. I don't want, I'm not going to miss you, okay? Um, but I want to get it all in, all in good order. Okay. So, is it, you know, for instance, is it required to be married in order to be saved? No. Is it required to be ordained in order to be saved? No. Does anyone have a right to be ordained? No. Does anyone have a right to be married? No. Okay. So, see, see how this works, right? And, and I would say this is really important today, especially with regards to marriage, because there's, a, there's, a, there's this idea afloat that everybody has a right to be married. Um, and the answer is, well, I think in the civil court, in the civil sense, yes, so long as marriage is understood as between a man and a woman, <laughs> I would say. But, but you see the point, is that you don't have to be married to be saved, okay? Is that good news for single people in here? Okay. Yay! <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, th- that's, that's so important. Okay. Um, but God uses them as a means of grace. And that's, that's the last thing. All right. What is confirmation? After making a mature commitment to my baptismal covenant with God, I receive the laying on of the bishop's hands with prayer. 
So this is the outward sign of confirmation. It is, I make this mature commitment, and what will most often happen is that you'll have a a baby who is baptized, and on down the road, um, they do what they're told to do, actually, surprisingly enough, in uh, in the prayer book right for baptism, which is to memorize the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed. They do it. We're going to baptize some babies this morning. We are going to talk about the, the need to present them to the bishop for confirmation when the time comes. And that's the godparents and the parents' responsibility to raise that child in the Christian faith. And they make it their own, and they make these mature professions uh, before the bishop, and they receive the laying on of the bishop's hands with prayer. Okay. Now, go ahead. I have a question about what sentence you decided to pick. Okay, well, hit, it, hit me with it. <laughs> Okay. Um, okay, so this is really important. Um, now, though we speak of seven sacraments, are there only seven sacraments? Yeah, it depends, right? <laughs> now, according to some of the church fathers, there's like 54 sacraments or, you know, one for every week of the year or, you know, uh, one for every nation of the world or, you know, something like that. But but we speak of seven sacraments because, um, we, because these are different, right? Um, I know that there have been some who say, well, why isn't foot washing a sacrament? Well, I'll give you the answer to that. It's because we don't know what the inward and spiritual grace would be, right? We just don't know. Um, when it comes to confession, we say, well, the absolution is the inward and spiritual grace, right? Um, when it comes to marriage, we say the bond, of the one flesh bond between man and woman is the inward and spiritual grace of marriage. So that's important. We can identify the parts. Okay? Um, the other part is that, um, yes, we do speak about them as means of grace, and I, would, and I would go so far as to say, you're assured that you receive that grace, right? I mean, when, when I hear a confession, I don't say, if it be God's will, which may, which it may not be, may he forgive your sins. No, I say, I say God forgive your sins. I mean, it's, uh, I absolve you, right? It's not, I might there's no, subjective, there's no subjunctive there. It's just, I absolve you, okay? Um, because that's what we're saying, okay? Um, we don't say, uh, you know, maybe they're husband and wife. They've made their vows, and we've said a prayer, and they might be married at the end of it. Um, we don't say that, okay? Now, now, about a whole lot of other things we can say, you know, we, we went and prayed for so-and-so at the hospital, and, and we, hoped that, we hoped that God was going to do something about that, right? We... We don't know, right? But if I lay my hands upon someone in the hospital and anoint them with oil, what I'm effectively saying is God is giving them grace. Absolutely. Okay. Now, I should say in, in conjunction with that, does that mean they'll absolutely be healed? No. It means they receive grace. And that's grace is at the heart of the sacraments. It's, it's that the gift is given through this means. Okay. So that's why we call them means of grace. So, yes, go ahead. That's right. That's right. Yep. So, and that's what that's one of the distinctions between dominical sacraments and sacraments of the church. It's that dominical sacraments are, are ordained by Christ. Yes. The others are held in the church's treasury, so to speak. Okay. 
don't want to go too far with that. All right. So let's say a little bit more about confirmation. Um, so we've laid out the basic format of what happens when a baby's baptized. Although for some of you here today, you've not yet been confirmed, and you may say at the end of this confirmation course, starting at about Lent, you might say, you know, I think I'd really like to be confirmed. And what I will do is I'll say, I'll, I will come to you and I will say, hey, you've been attending faithfully and regularly. Would you like to be confirmed? Because who decides if you get to be confirmed? First me, then you, okay? <laughs> because I'm in charge of that, right? Um, and I, it's my responsibility to make sure that you, were, that you were appropriately formed and appropriately taught and instructed prior to confirmation, okay? Um, a lot of people will say, uh, when I'm confirmed, hey, I became an Anglican by being confirmed. Well, that may be part of it. You may have joined our church, but that's not what's happening. Um, confirmation is a sacrament by which uh, God's grace is given through the increase of the Holy Spirit, okay, and the laying on of hands by the bishop. Early on in the church's history, uh, we know that uh, people were baptized and chrismated at the same time, uh, together in one unified rite. Um, you know, I kind of hope and pray that that day will come again, uh, but as it is, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but you'll note that we chrismate babies when, when we baptize them. Uh, is that the same thing as confirmation? Well, here's the problem. Confirmation is often described in the West as a sacrament in search of a theology, okay? Um, but I can, I can tell you what I think. And what I think is that uh, uh, there's a wonderful Anglican bishop, who, Colin Buchanan, who speaks of baptism as uh, like an ordination, but not really. Okay? So it's a, that's what it essentially is. You'll note in scripture, uh, the laying on of hands is, is done for the increase of the Holy Spirit for a particular ministry, a particular state of life. Um, one addendum to this is that... Uh, in, in Anglicanism, in order to serve in any official capacity, um, like within a vestry, for instance, you have to be confirmed. That's just a given. You have to be confirmed. Now, some of you here will say, I don't ever want to be confirmed. I don't ever desire to be confirmed. I don't need to be confirmed. I was baptized as an adult. And I'm like, that's fine. I will, however, say, you should probably think about the implications of desiring to have laying on hands for the increase of the Holy Spirit. But I get it, right? I wouldn't want to serve on vestry either, okay? <laughs> Um, but there it is. In order to be ordained, in order to go through an ordination process, you have to be confirmed. Um, so all of that is, is very much in play. Um, I will tell a, a very quick story, though, um, because confirmation has often been seen, and this is quite wrong, as a rite of passage. Almost like, oh, he's 12 now, so he goes to class and learns what confirmation is and, uh, and takes some dumb class for three, three weeks, and then that's enough, and then the bishop shows up to do confirmation. Well, my former bishop in California... Uh, knew that this was going on in some parishes. So he shows up to a parish one day, uh, and he, he would show up on Saturday night, and he would examine the confirmands before they were confirmed. And, he, and there's just this, you know, I think 15-year-old girl ready to be confirmed, you know. And he starts asking her questions. Turns out she's not been adequately uh, taught. She hasn't been adequately instructed. And he says, you know, I don't think... I don't think you're going to be comfortable lying in front of me tomorrow <laughs> when you make these promises. Are your parents here? Yes, they're out in the car. Okay, well, let's go talk to them. So he goes out of the parking lot and says, Mom, Dad, you know, I've talked with her. She doesn't really think she's ready to do this. I don't think she's ready to do this. And they're like, well, there's, there's family around and all this stuff. Like, what are we going to do? And she says, that's not really my problem. Go talk to Father so-and-so, right? Because he was supposed to prepare you for confirmation and didn't, and that's a problem. Now, is that the best way to handle it? I don't know. I'm not going to make a value judgment on that. But, but I can say that that needs to happen a lot more. 
because we have these pro forma confirmations, always. And I will just tell you, we don't do that here, okay? <laughs> uh, confirmation is offered to those who have been through a whole year of catechesis, who have shown a great commitment to it, and who are ready. Um, and that's it. And so that means that if, if a 12-year-old's ready, they're ready. If a 15-year-old's ready, they're ready. If an 80-year-old's ready, they're ready. Um, let's do it. Um, so there's that. This often raises a question of, you know, how do I become a member of Christ Church? You become a member of Christ Church by getting me your baptism information. It's that simple. Why? Okay, how do you join the church? Through baptism. Okay, you join this church by getting me your baptism information or by being baptized here. Okay, uh, it's really just, I keep it that simple because I want it to be clear that you join the church not through filling out a card, but through the sacrament of baptism. Okay? All right. What grace does God give you in confirmation? In confirmation, God strengthens the work of the Holy Spirit in me for his daily increase in my Christian life and ministry. And in fact, this is the prayer given in confirmation. It's daily increase in your Holy Spirit that he may continue yours uh, forever. Um, this is the, uh, the prayer of it. And get this. Does it say for the gift of the Holy Spirit? No, it says for the increase of the Holy Spirit. Because there's a recognition that if you are baptized, you already have the Holy Spirit. So we pray for the increase of the Holy Spirit. Many people have told me through the years that when they were confirmed, they actually noticed this. They noticed an increase of the life of the Holy Spirit in them, a call to prayer, a call to deep, steadfast belief, um, such as they had not had before. Um, so I want to I want to hold that up as kind of like, hey, no occasion. You know, you should never you should never presume that that's going to happen. Uh, but you know, it does happen, and so I want to want to want to name that. All right, should we move on to absolution? You ready? Okay, all right. What is absolution? After repenting and confessing my sins to God in the presence of a priest, the priest declares God's forgiveness to me with authority given by God. Okay. Let me give you a little bit of the history, okay? In the ancient church, there was no formal means of having a private auricular confession. If you were baptized... You sinned unto death. Okay, this was very serious. If you if you were baptized and you and you committed grave uh, and um, and a scandalous sin, you were put out of the church. And if you wanted to get let back in, you had to go through horribly humiliating uh, penance in order to be let back in usually consisting of sitting on the front porch of the church in sackcloth and ashes, lower than a catechumen, okay? Catechumens, by the way, were receiving grace, you know? Uh, uh, you know those doing penance, you know, may not be. I don't know. Uh, we're going to see, right? And it was hard, very hard. In fact, so hard that people would put off baptism to their deathbed because they didn't want to go through the rigors of penance to get back into the church after they'd sinned so gravely, okay? Um, there are some drawbacks to this. Can you think of the drawbacks? Well, oh, by the way, at the end of your time of penance, like, you know, Monday, Thursday, something like that, uh, you would have to stand before the church and publicly confess your sins, audibly, exactly what they were, and receive absolution from the bishop. Okay? Um, there lot, there's lots of trouble here, okay? One of the troubles is people are going to put off baptism forever. They're going to put off baptism to their deathbed. Is that a good idea? No. That's terrible, okay? Another problem with it is, can you imagine in some countries having public confession 
and, and, and forced in that direction, not a good idea, right? Because you might say, yeah, and I had lustful thoughts about so-and-so's wife. Like, no, it creates horrible division in the church, okay? You don't want to go that way. Uh, so what was ultimately uh, determined, and this is through kind of a boiling pot of these kinds of things going on, was um, basically, you know, the, the church's ministry has to be a, has to be, has to be a ministry of uh, mercy and absolution to sinners, okay? And as the church moves into this time in which, uh, time after Constantine, in which all is legal and there's not this kind of, desire for complete and utter rigor, uh, we, can, we can have that. So um, ultimately, through a number of means, um, this, I, this understanding of private auricular confession comes about. What's at the heart of it, though, is the apostolic um, uh, authority to forgive sins. Is it not? Okay. It's just given in different ways. Do you see the point? So there's that at the very heart of it, what's going on. Okay. Um, so today... Um, how things are usually practiced is that um, if you have, uh, and I, w- I would put it this way, if you have sin in your life that you struggle with as a matter of conscience and you can't seem to shake it, you probably need to go to confession. Do you have to? No, but you probably should. Okay. Um, because here's the problem. Sin is such a horrid disease that it will take root and it will make you not even see your own sin rightly. Um, And so what you need is somebody to come alongside you and say, did you ever think about this? But also to say, I absolve you. Because there are sins for which you cannot absolve, actually you can't absolve yourself of any sin. (laughs) Right? Um, The other issue too is that do we just sin against God? Oh, I kind of almost wish that were the case. Wouldn't that be easy? No, we sin against we sin against our we sin against our spouses. We sin against our children. We sin against our our friends. And all too often, the problem is we can we can beg and ask for their forgiveness, but the relationship is broken. And we know that we've not only sinned against them, but we've sinned against God as well. And we've not only sinned against them, but we've also sinned against the church. Um. And so we need to receive that forgiveness. Um, it's very important. Um, so uh, here's, here's the basic way to think about it. Um, if you find yourself in this position and you need to do this, and some people like to take this on as a spiritual discipline of twice a year, once a year, uh, once a month, once a week even, uh, uh, you've, you, you spend some time in examination. Okay? And you can use all manner of forms and formats and uh, Examinations of conscience, I can send you one. I've got PDFs galore on this. Um, I'll send it to you. You go through it. Um, it's an exercise in, uh, in discovering my own sinfulness. Okay. And then you set up a time uh, to meet with one of the priests of Christ Church. We, were, we all stand at the ready to hear your confession. Uh, by the way, we all stand at the ready, and that means that we make our own confessions. Um, it's an expectation I have and the bishop has. Don't do it. Don't hear confessions unless you do it yourself. Um, uh, why? Because, you know, what, what, listen, what, what, is, what is medicine to me is medicine to you, okay? Um, uh, so we all do that. Um, and, and we'll give you the, and when we meet up, we sometimes meet at my office. We'll sometimes meet in a chapel on campus. We'll meet uh, in a private place. How's that? Um, and the form begins with you uh, basically saying, bless me for I have sinned. Now, this is a really important thing, isn't it? 
You'll note the liturgy is not begun by a priest. The liturgy is begun by the sinner. Isn't that amazing? Because it's you who begin this, this liturgy. Um, there's, there's room for you to make that confession in the lines. I can get, get all it to you if you'd like. Um, and then counsel's offered. Um, and then absolution is offered. Usually there's some kind of token penance. Uh, like, you know, you should go read, uh, I don't know, read chapter 6 of Romans. You know, uh, Read Psalm 51, <laughs> something like that. Okay, um, And it's just kind of a token thing to, to show you um, uh, God's mercy in the midst of that. Um, and then the absolution is given. Um, the content of a confession is absolutely sacrosanct. Um, we are not allowed to reveal the content of a confession for any reason whatsoever, period, period, period. Okay? Um, this can go so far, right? Uh, have you ever seen I Confess? The Hitchcock movie? Oh, you should go see this. Okay. Uh, basically, the plot is a guy shows up in the confessional and he says, I'm about to go commit a murder. Who am I going to murder? I'm going to murder you. This priest can do nothing about it. He, he, he is stuck in this spot where he can do nothing about that. He's waiting for his own murder. Um, there, are, there have been times in which, um, you know, and I will just I will say this personally, there have been times in which I've had to hold on to things that have been utterly miserable for years for me to hang on to. But I've done it. And the reason I did it was because the church will always put mercy above justice. Always. Yes? Isn't that what the cross is about? It's about God taking on, God the Son taking justice on our behalf for the sake of mercy. Okay? Um, of course, as, as Dr. Johnson can tell you, there are a lot of other ways to talk about atonement. <laughs> but that is one, yes? <laughs> um, so under no circumstances are we allowed to ever reveal, and we can't even act on the content of confession. Um, so this is so, so important. Um, the other thing is, and I would say this clearly, you don't want to live in a world where the only person that you can tell in total confidence all of your faults is your lawyer. Because legally that's the case, okay? There's no law to protect me. There's no law to protect me in the confessional, not at all. Um, and in fact, priests have gone to prison for, not, for refusing to reveal the content of confession. In this country, have gone to prison. Okay? Um, <clears throat> so, have to say that. Um, by the way, if a priest ever reveals the content of confession, sudden death, over, you're done. Um, and, and you're out completely. Um, so, this is really key, very key. Um, any questions about that? On what basis do we have this wonderful gift of authority to forgive sins? Yeah. John chapter 20. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He appears behind locked doors in the upper room. Peace be with you, he says. He shows them his hands and his feet. Yes? And what does he say? Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. On that very moment, I mean, he rises from the dead, and this is the first thing he tells them. Why does he tell them this? Why was he crucified? Why did he rise from the dead? For the forgiveness of sins. Okay, they're they're tied together. Go ahead. 
Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to get to that, okay? Um, <clears throat> actually, did we get to this? Well, let me just jump in. It was, it was way in advance of this. Retaining is usually considered to be the, uh, the church's uh, discipline with regard to notorious sinners, right? Remember how we talked about early on, um, you know, back in the ancient church, sinners were restored through penance? Um, listen, that, that, that can still happen, okay? It still happens. But the purpose of it is to draw sinners to repentance, not to drive them away, okay? Um, and so I might, you know, and I, I've had to do this occasionally. It's never public, it's never, you know, it's never published, right? It's always, you know, you might want to excuse yourself for commun- from communion for a while. Why? Well, you bear absolute and utter hatred for your neighbor. Um, you are in a major crisis with regard to your wife, and you haven't forgiven her or your husband. Um, and it's very often this kind of disconnect from the church's communion and fellowship that builds longing to receive it again. How do you receive it? It's usually you make your confession and it's, and it's, it's, it's over with um, and back and restored. Um, now, I should mention, does this mean that you will never sin again? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> You'll definitely sin again, okay? I hope you wouldn't, but, you know, you, you probably will. And, <clears throat> but let me tell you, through the help of regular confession, I have given up sins at which I once despaired. Um, it is a wonderful gift, and I've seen many, many countless people uh, do this uh, as well. Um, I, I've had on, on numerous occasions uh, people kind of leave the confession and say, good gracious, I feel light as a feather. <laughs> and you say, yes, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> and, and not only that, but saying things like, Father, I spent thousands upon thousands of dollars on psychologists, on antidepressants, on anxiety medications, and you've done more good for free in 20 minutes than I could ever do with psychologists and psychiatrists and the rest. Now, does that mean you might not need to be on, uh, and probably not, you, you, probably, you need to be careful with mental health, right? But, but it is to say that very often what dogs us in this life is repeated and piled up guilt. Um, and, and Jesus does not want us to live in guilt. And the surest way to remove it is to go to confession. I, listen, at the end of the day, I can't do that much for you, okay? I, I can't argue you out of the ways you've chosen to live your life if they're destructive. I can't, uh, I, I can't counsel you properly all the time. The biggest things that I can do for you is I can, I can, give, you the, I can give you the Eucharist. And I'll bring it to you, okay? <laughs> I'll deliver it. And I can hear your confession. And I can anoint you with oil. Um, that, that's, 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 those are the biggest things I can do. Um, so keep all that in mind. It's, um, it's been a wonderful thing here uh, to see that probably about half the people at Christ Church make their confession on a regular basis. Um, that's just absolutely astounding. I've never, had, I've never been in a situation like that. It's just glorious and wonderful. Um, because, because what it means is that... Um, there is an awareness of the effect of sin, there's an awareness of the problem, and there's a desire to see it restored by grace. Okay? So that's really great. Um, go ahead. Is there any case you can imagine? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
There's nothing. Now, however, I should say, if someone comes and says, I'm going to do this thing, I, that's not a confession. Uh, it's, now, it might be under the seal, and it probably is. It probably is under the seal, actually. Um, it's probably under the seal, meaning that there's, there's no way to break it. Uh, but what I would say is that I would not, I would not offer absolution because there's no, there's no true intent um, to give it up, right? It's saying, I'm going to do this thing, right? So, um, you know, and, and truth be told, this has never happened to me where I sit there and somebody says, Father, I'm going to go kill somebody. It's always, I killed somebody, okay? <laughs> now, now, you laugh, but I'm telling you, after 10 months of being ordained, I'd heard every one of the Ten Commandments confessed. Every single one. Um, so, it, you know, this is serious business. Um, but no, I, I can't imagine, I can't, first of all, I can't imagine that happening. Um, it's, a, it's a scenario meant to show you just how deep this goes, right? Um, and in that case, I would say, I would plead with him saying, you, 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 you cannot do this. Um, it is also certainly important to say this, that if you've committed a crime, um, yeah, I will absolve you, but I'm also going to beg you uh, to make restitution. Right? Restitution is important. And restitution might include presenting yourself to the authorities, um, especially if there's an investigation going on, especially if there's something like that in the works. Um, but, but that is to say that, um, uh, to, put it, to put it really simply, um, I'm not a mandatory reporter according to the canons of the church. I might be according to Texas law. Um, but, but, and some people say, well, how horrible is that, that you could be aware of abuse and not report it. And to which I would say, if, 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 a, if, a, if, a, if a criminal case rests upon the testimony of a priest who heard a confession and may or may not have heard that confessed, that's a very shaky case. And I would say as much. Um, and I would question whether or not, uh, whether or not it, it falls to the civil authorities to have that kind of case go before a court. Um, now, is that to say that I'm going to shelter? No, absolutely not. Um, in fact, I would, I would unleash fury on somebody about that. <laughs> but you see the point, right? It's that my job as a priest is not to stand in judgment. Um, in fact, I would go so far as to say, um, and have said, I could never sit on a jury for a murder case. Because as a priest, I can't dispense justice in that way. Because, because I think it would actually be a scandal. Um, uh, anyway, but that's, that's me. It's not, there's not any canonical provision for that. But, but I think I'm in that place now. Um, go ahead. Oh, no, they absolutely do. So I'll give, give you give you a couple bit. Let's just let's let's divide them up, okay? I can and will intervene in a whole number of situations, past, pastoral situations, lots of them, okay? Whole array of things. But if my only knowledge of a case comes from a confession, I cannot act on that at all. Does that make sense? So you know, if you told me, hey, you know, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, I've been drinking really heavily lately, and I'm, I'm feeling kind of suicidal, right? I will say, I'm going to come pick you up. We're going to go to the hospital, right? We're going to get you, we're going to get you in treatment, okay? 
that's acting on, that's acting in a pastoral manner. If you tell me that in confession, what am I going to say? After this, let's get you to a rehab facility. I'll drive you over there myself. And you say, I'm not going. Say, there's nothing I can do about that. I would love it if you would go. Do you see the, see the problem there that's, that's, that's there? But we, ha- listen, I have to say this. We have to have it that way, okay? We have to. Because we have to understand that the church's primary ministry is not fixing me, right? It is to offer me mercy. Um, now, will the church intervene in situations? Absolutely. We do it all the time. Like, all these priests can tell you. We do it all the time, right? We do it all the time. Um, but, but the confessional is not that place. So go ahead, Wendy. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I just can't help it. You know, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yep. I, I can't. I can't disagree with any of that. What I can disagree with is the means necessary, which is that uh, pursue that of pursuing justice and pursuing the safety of children based upon the content of a confession alone. Do you see what I'm saying? So, um, and I would and I would even say like, listen. I'm just going to be really, really straight up about this. When that happens, a confessor is not the only one who knows about it. There are lots of people who know about it. Um, and, and it's not just victims, it's parents, it's uh, lots of people. And, and by the way, I mean, part of the issue, too, is that um, though there have been some major infractions upon which, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, where priests have been protected by the church, in the vast majority of cases, and by the way, I... One of my best friends was a lawyer for the Catholic Church in California during the entire crisis. He was the head lawyer in California. Um, listen, they, they, have, they have undertaken uh, investigations like you would not believe. Um, and so uh, to say that the church uses confession to shelter abusers, it just doesn't happen um, uh, in that way. Uh, so I would say... Confession's not, and the content of confession is not the, is not the means of sheltering those guys. It, don't, it never is. Um, it's always, yeah, we knew about this. We just didn't do anything about it. And how did we know about it? Well, he told us. Because so many of these people are complete sociopaths, and they'll just tell you, right? That's, in fact, what my friend says. He's like, no, they're just straight up about it. They don't, they don't feel any remorse about it at all. So they don't even feel like the need to begin a formal confession to tell you that. They'll just tell you that. Um, so... Uh, now, but again, I have to say this. If, if, again, if the only evidence in a court is the testimony of a priest, you've got a shaky case. And, and that's, that's just the way it has to be. Um, so, there it is. I, I, I think, um, and this is scandalous, is it not, to say this? Yeah. Mercy scandalous. Yeah. It is. It's appalling. It's it's appalling. Um, but but those cases can be prosecuted on 
vast amounts of evidence that surrounds the case. Um, and and there's, there's always evidence enough, um, I think. Um, not to mention, you know, you can, listen, you can, you can get to the bottom of things with the victim and you can, you can prosecute a case based on that and their family. Um, uh, so it's, it's important to say that. I, I don't want to get wrapped up in the nuts and bolts of it because, again, I've never actually had this happen to me. Um, I've never had this happen to me. Go ahead. That's right, yeah. And one of the ways in which this whole discussion underlies this happening, especially around scientific profession, is that it forces us to, it continually forces us out of trying to make the church into something that's not. Right. Out of trying to make the church into the secular government. That's right. means of uh, dispensing secular justice. Yep. Of writing a yep. call. The church's call is not, as church, to bring it into sin. Yep. I think that's right. Um, I've written some articles about this if you want to read them on AnglicanVastor.com, um, specifically on this question because there's actually a very, and I, I'll say this openly, there's a very scandalous push to unlock the seal of confession among certain bishops. I will fight them to my death um, because, listen, if I'm, if I'm, listen, when I was ordained, this was, this was, this was what I was signing on for, um, and I will not relent on this. Um, and, uh, and, and there, are, there are even people that make, want to make it a canonical violation of ordination vows to hang on to information that could lead to justice. And I will stand against them at every turn. Um, because, because, listen, again, you need someone other than your lawyer to sit there and say, I absolve you. Okay? Uh, you need somebody other than your psychologist. Um, and you also need to... You need, the whole church, I want to add to Junius' this wonderful point, the whole church needs to be able to flee to this ministry without worry that over minor things, Father Nelson's going to go spill the beans, right? Because if I do it over big stuff, why not small stuff too? Um, um, that's, that's, a, that's a significant issue. Um, and and that, that ministry must remain safe. Okay, let's... Uh, Let's, um, let's read question 121 since we never got to it, okay? <laughs> and then we'll wrap it up there. What grace does God give you in absolution? In absolution, God conveys to me his pardon through the cross, thus declaring to me reconciliation and peace with him and bestowing upon me the assurance of his grace and salvation. Pardon is not conveyed by any power and authority that I have. Do you get that? Right? I didn't die for your sins. Okay? Who did? Jesus. So that pardon is given from the cross. I will very often find myself hearing the confession of someone who's very nervous uh, and very sorrowful, unable to really get through things. And I will say, listen, sister, okay? Um, I'm just here as a witness to watch you bring your sin to the foot of the cross. Okay? 
do that. Uh, that's the point. Okay. Um, in addition to this, uh, what is declared is reconciliation and peace with God, which, as we've said before, is completely within the authority of the clergy of the church to do. Why? Because Jesus grants it. And bestowing upon me the assurance of his grace and salvation. Um, in fact, and I want to say this, this is the best part, okay? When you make a confession, you are, re- you are restored to a baptismal state. It's just that simple. Um, every sin you've ever committed is, is forgiven, okay? Now, that doesn't cover what you will, <laughs> but, but it's covered. Um, and so uh, this, is, this, is, this is the final thing I'll say about it. Um, very often people will say, I'm afraid, Father. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid you'll think less of me. Oh, oh. <laughs> I almost want to be the old Catholic priest saying, oh, my child. <laughs> it could never be this way. You know what I struggle with most? Thinking too highly of the people who make their confessions. Right? That's my struggle. Because I'm like, man, he's awesome. He makes his confession regularly. I wish everybody else was like him. That's my sin to deal with, okay? It's my judgment, not, not good. Uh, but that's the, that's the thing I, I struggle with. I never struggle with thinking, oh, geez, what a jerk he is, you know? Because that's not what happens. I am filled with love and mercy for sinners, such as I never thought I could even have. Um, and so please know that. That's, that's the point, um, is, is to hear from another human being absolve you. Your sins are forgiven. You know, go and sin no more. Um, this can be for you um, the beginning of a whole new life, to put simply. Um, so, so please avail yourself of it. You know, part of the reason I think we have four priests is that we have a lot of confessions here, and, 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 it's, and it's really great to have the help, okay? So please don't think you're ever, um, you're ever killing us by saying, can I schedule time? Like, as Father Canary says, listen, this is, like the, this is my favorite thing I get to do, okay? Um, and it's not like, ooh, I get to hear all your dirt. It's I get to absolve you. Um, so please hear that, um, and uh, we'll begin next week, or we'll start up next week with uh, the other sacraments, including marriage. So uh, see you next week.